Today we're going to continue in our series on the life of David. And as most of you know, David is best known as being King David, that great king of Israel. That's how he's best known. But what you may not know is that David, even before he was crowned king, had positions of authority. Whether it was the shepherd over a flock of sheep, or whether it was the leader of King Saul's army, or then eventually as the king of Israel, in each kind of leadership, David always demonstrated something very special. As he led, he demonstrated a spiritual maturity, a spiritual maturity. So today I want us to think about what kind of leaders we really are. As we lead wherever God has given us leadership, what kind of leaders are we? I want us to think about if we are demonstrating spiritual maturity as we lead those around us. Because you see, every one of us is leading someone, right? Every one of us is leading someone. And how we lead them does have an impact upon them. And one of the greatest indicators of our spiritual maturity is how we handle the authority, the power, the influence that we've been given. You see, the way we respond when it dawns on us <laughs> that we are the most powerful persons in the room, it reveals our spiritual maturity. When we finally understand we do have the power, nobody else in the room is as powerful as I am, what we do with that power reveals our spiritual maturity. The way that you respond, whether it's in the boardroom or the classroom or in the locker room or the bedroom or some room in your family, some place in your family room, no matter where it is, it reveals your spiritual maturity. You see, the way you respond makes a difference. What you do with your authority, power, and influence in that moment reveals your maturity. When you realize that you are the one in charge, when you realize that you get to make the decision, when you realize that all the eyes in the room are upon you, what you do at that moment with your authority, your power, your influence reveals your level of maturity. And the truth is this, and we all know this, few things are as repulsive as a leader who uses his influence for his benefit to the neglect for those for whom he or she is responsible. That's called selfishness. And yet few things are as inspiring as a leader who says no to himself or no to herself in order to say yes to those for whom he or she is responsible. That's selflessness. And yet often, none of us know how we would really respond until we are the ones who are with the power, until we are the ones who have the keys, the title, the office, or the crown. But no matter what kind of leadership we are given, that of a parent, a teacher, a coach, a boss, or a board member, an attorney, a contractor, 
whatever it might be, we are called to follow what David learned to do and what Jesus modeled for us to do. Here's the bottom line as we start this morning. We are to humbly shepherd and serve those we lead in a way that benefits them. We're to shepherd and serve those we lead in a way that benefits them. Now, when David was a little boy, about the time he was 13, 14, junior high, middle school, when he was a little boy, God told a prophet named Samuel to go to David's house. And when he arrived, he basically said to Jesse, David's dad, I'm here in a mission. But it was a secret mission because God had told him to go to Jesse's family to anoint one of Jesse's son, one of his sons, as the very next king. But Israel, here's the problem, still had a king. And that king, King Saul, was in no way ready to retire, ready to give up his authority, his power, his position, his influence. So listen, if you're going to anoint somebody as the next king when they're still a king, you'd better keep your mission a secret, amen? If you want to keep your head in its place. And so Samuel went to Jesse's house on this secret mission. And he doesn't tell Jesse why he's there. He just says, Jesse, call in all your family members. Get all your sons together. We're going to have a special dinner and do a special sacrifice of worship to God. Now, because Samuel was thinking, as I get everybody together, as soon as I see the son of Jesse that God says is to be the next king, I believe God's going to give me the nod, and I'll know which one to anoint. So Jesse invites all the sons to come, and there's Samuel. He's scanning the sons. He's looking at the crowd. And there's Eliab. Jesse's oldest son was there. Firstborn was there. And and in that culture, firstborn, man, you're the guy. You're the guy. And he sees him. And look at what the Lord says to Samuel. He says, Samuel, yeah, he's good looking. He's, He's tall. But don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. So since God said no to Eliab, Jesse had son after son pass by Samuel. But then Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen these. I mean, Jesse had paraded six of his sons past Samuel and none. But Samuel, you see, was not getting the nod from God. He was not getting, this is the one thing from God. He was not sensing that the son to be anointed was was there. So Samuel asked Jesse, take a look at this on the screen. Are these all the sons you have? And as Jesse looks around, he's got a lot of sons and got a lot of the sons have families. And and he realizes that David, his youngest son, is not there. And and he says, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, this isn't everybody. The youngest is out tending sheep in the pasture. And Samuel says, send for him right now. So Jesse sends somebody to get David. And when David arrives, look at this. God says, rise, Samuel, and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel gets up. He goes to David, pours oil on his head, prays a blessing over him, and then Samuel packs up his stuff, says nothing, and leaves. (laughs) And I'm sure the whole family is standing there like, what just happened? The junior higher got the anointing. (laughs) The little guy. 
the, the shepherd boy, he, he got the anointing. And they're saying, what just happened? Because you see, there's no indication anywhere in Scripture that Samuel ever told Jesse what the anointing for David was to be about or what it was to do. But here's what we do know. Take a look at this. The Bible says this. Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And we know this to be true because it was just a short 18 months later. So David was 13, 14, and then 15, 16, maybe starting 17. That's when young David, still a teenager, steps up and volunteers to fight Goliath. Israel's number one obstacle, Israel's greatest enemy. And he volunteers to step up and fight and kill Goliath, and he does. And because of that, what happens to David? He becomes an overnight sensation. Because of that, he gains the favor of the king, King Saul. Because of that, seven years later, King Saul says, man, I want one of my daughters to marry you, David. And he gives one of his daughters to David as his wife. So for seven years, things are going great for David. His best friend, Jonathan, is the king's oldest son. His wife is the king's daughter. His father-in-law is the king. Man, he's in. <laughs> he's set. He went from shepherd boy to jet set. Can you imagine that? He's in. Things are going great. But suddenly, King Saul begins to get threatened by David's leadership ability, his military success, his popularity with the people. Saul becomes jealous, and over and over, he tries to kill him. He tries to kill his own son-in-law. Some of you have thought about, no, no, you haven't. <laughs> so David takes off. He goes on the run. He becomes a, a fugitive from the law for the next eight years. For the next eight years, David is running literally for his life from King Saul. But at the same time, he knows that God has chosen him and anointed him for something very special. And at two different times, David had the opportunity to turn the tables on King Saul. To turn the, the, the running into kingship. To stop what was happening. He had the opportunities to kill King Saul to, to stop what was going on. And one of those times is when David and his loyal band of 600 fighting men were in a cave. Must have been a big cave. Big, big, dark cave. They were hiding in a cave from King Saul's army. And when King Saul, get this, went into the cave to relieve himself... Yes, the Bible, read 1 Samuel. It actually says that. When he went into the cave to relieve himself, to go to the bathroom at that moment, David had a chance to kill him and end his running. So get this, there's Saul in the cave, vulnerable, pants down, okay? There's King Saul in the cave doing his thing. And David still doesn't kill him. And David's army men were whispering to him, are you kidding me? Do it, David. 
do it. There he is. He can't get it. His pants are down. He can't get away. Get him, David. But instead, after Saul finishes, after he gets back up, gets back on his horse or his donkey, and he starts to ride off, David appears in the mouth of the cave, and he says something, Yoo-hoo! <laughs> King Saul, I saw you! <laughs> or something like that. Now, this is what David really says. My Lord, the King... Very respectful in spite of what Saul's been doing to him. This day you have seen me with your own eyes, how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. And then David went on and said, see my father. He's talking to his father-in-law. Look at this piece of your robe in my hand. Whoa. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. I wouldn't have wanted to be that close to Saul in that position, would you? And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. Everybody say, wow, wow. There was Saul. David was close enough to cut a piece off of his robe, could have taken him out, could have gotten the throne. But he said, I won't do that. And eventually we learned that at the hands of the Philistines, King Saul and his son Jonathan were killed in a battle. So now the two men that stood in the way of David becoming the king are now dead. But then one of King Saul's other sons, Ish-bosheth. Everybody say Ish-bosheth with me. Ish-bosheth. Now I'm sure when his mom called him, he, she didn't say that. Ish, come here. <laughs> Ish, c- come on, Ish. And so I'm not going to try to say his name anymore. I'm just going to say Ish. So now Ish declares himself to be king over 11 of the tribes of Israel. And the other tribe, the tribe of Judah, declares David to be their king. So for seven more years, there's still this conflict going on between the house of David and the house of Saul. But David tries to just stay out of the way, just wait in God's timing and God's way. He knows God's got something special for him. But after seven years, two guys sneak into Isha's house and murder him. Two guys from David's army. Because they wanted to remove the last obstacle to David becoming the king over all 12 tribes. They wanted David to be the king of Israel. So they cut off Isha's head. They take it to David, expecting a great reward. Now, the Old Testament is full of stories of beheadings. In fact, in ancient times... As gory and gruesome as it is, the only way to prove that somebody was dead was to take their head. That was the only way. You imagine, no iPhones, no cameras. They couldn't take a selfie and say, here, David, (laughs) here's the head. They they couldn't do that. So I, I made this rhyme so you can remember this, okay? The only way to prove that someone is dead was to show up with their head. That's that's it. But David said to those guys, as surely as the Lord lives. Who has delivered me out of every trouble. When wicked men, like you guys who take it upon yourselves to do things, to make things work out. When wicked men have killed an innocent man in his own house and on his own bed. Should I not now demand his blood from your hand and rid the earth of you? So David gave an order to his men and they killed him. Everybody was understanding that David, even though few knew about his anointing by Samuel, understanding that he was destined to be king. 
And so they couldn't understand why he just wouldn't grab it. Why he hadn't seized the throne when he had so many opportunities. But even after the death of Ish, here's what happened. The elders of Israel all gathered from all 12 tribes and they came to David to crown him and to hand to him the power and the authority that goes along with being the king of Israel. And it's at that moment that David shows his true greatness and the level of his spiritual maturity. In this moment, when David is handed the keys to the kingdom, when he is handed the power of the king's throne, when he is given the ability to speak and things become law for everyone else, when he is the most powerful person in the room, what did he do? He made promises to care for the people. He made a covenant with them. In other words, he made promises to care for them in the presence of the Lord. The Bible says before the Lord. That's what a covenant is. You make a covenant to do this for these people, but you do it before the Lord. The Bible says this. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king of the tribe of Judah made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel, which means all 12 tribes. Now what gets me is that he didn't have to do that. That covenant thing, <laughs> he was king. He didn't have to make a covenant. He didn't have to make a promise to anybody else. Why in the world would, after being mistreated for all of those years, 15 years, and now facing some of the elders who didn't support him during his running and his faithfulness during all of those 15 years, why would he promise to take care of them? He could have gotten revenge, but he didn't. Instead, he made a covenant with these people. Why would he do that? It was because he was a king who was submitting himself to the leadership of the great king. Amen? He was a king who was making a covenant before the Lord, the great king. He was a king who was proclaiming right there and then in public that he would operate under the authority of the great king. He was submitting to the authority of the Lord. So in that moment, he was saying, yes, I am a king. You've made me a king, but I am not the king. You see, David never confused himself with the real king of Israel. He never confused himself with the great shepherd of all time. So write this down. You thought I wasn't going to get to any fill in the blanks, didn't you? So write this down. Under the guidance of the real king and the great shepherd, David led like a shepherd. He committed to lead Israel in that covenant like a shepherd. He committed to lead and care for his new flock like he once cared for the flock in his own pasture. What kind of leader was David? What kind of leader was David when he was given the title, when he was given the keys to the kingdom, when he was given power and authority? Write this down. He was patient. 
David waited 15 years for God to give him what he had been promised. How many of us would wait for 15 years for a promise to come through? He waited patiently. Even when his band of military men said this, David, there they are in the cave. David, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. But David never tried to grab the throne by harming the king. He had opportunity, but he was patient. Next, write this down. And he was faithful to God's plan. Even though he often could have devised his own plan, David, time after time, chose against even the wishes of his own army, his own men, he chose God's plan. David said this to his military men, as surely as the Lord lives, he says, the Lord himself will strike him, King Saul, or his time will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish, but the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. You see, David was not seeking gain personally. He wasn't looking for power and affluence personally. The Bible says this, they brought the head of Ish to David at Hebron and said to the king, here's the head of Ish, Ish, son of Saul, your enemy who tried to kill you. The day the Lord has avenged my Lord, the king against Saul and his offspring. But when those two guys, those two military men brought the head of Ish to David and David could have easily grabbed the power, he still didn't. Because he was not looking for power, gain, or affluence. Write this down. You see, he was seeking good for all people. He was seeking good. And God knew that. God knew that that little shepherd boy, now grown to be a 30-year-old man, that shepherd boy would use what he learned in the pasture as he cared for his own sheep. He would care for the people of Israel like he cared for his sheep. God wanted his people to have a king with a shepherd's heart. God wanted somebody who cared more about their needs than his own. In fact, God said to David, David, you will shepherd my people Israel. Now listen really close. It's one thing to listen to a really good story like that and get inspired because we're inspired whenever we see a leader say no to himself and say yes and bless somebody else, the people that they're leading. But listen, for us this morning, that's not enough. For those of us who follow Jesus, that kind of life, saying no to ourselves and saying yes to bless others, that kind of life is required. Those of us who follow Jesus, we're required to lead them with a shepherd's heart. We're required to lead them with a servant's heart. And that's why I say, and here's why I say that. A thousand years later, after David, just 20 miles north of where David was crowned as king, in the city of Jerusalem, Jesus came. And Jesus there modeled what leading with a shepherd's heart and a servant's heart looked like. He modeled saying no to himself and yes to the people that he was leading. That he might care for them and meet their deepest needs. 
Yes, we know that the Bible says that David was a, a man after God's own heart. But then Jesus came and he modeled what the heart of God was really like. He showed us that the, the heart of God is a shepherd's heart, caring for the ones that he's leading. A servant's heart, ministering to their deepest needs. Write this down. Jesus led like a shepherd. Not only David, but Jesus. And Jesus far more than David. Write this down. Jesus was patient. The Bible says this about Jesus. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He had the keys to the kingdom. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. So like David, Jesus knew that the throne awaited him. Like David, Jesus knew that the power belonged to him. But Jesus was patient. He wasn't anxious to grab at his power. He wasn't anxious to leave his people. No, he stayed with them and he led them like a shepherd. He loved his people to the end of his time on earth. And how did he do that? Write this down. He was faithful to God's plan. See, Jesus came to model what shepherding and serving looks like. He came to model what it means to say no to ourselves and yes to others. And we all know that he did that on the cross. But he did that again and again and again throughout his life. And again, just before he went to the cross. Take a look at this. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he'd come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around them. Then Jesus said, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Right here, Jesus modeled the kind of leadership that he wants every one of us to give to every one of us, everyone that we lead. The kind of leadership that he wants us to have. That was God's plan for Jesus. He came to show the world what the heart of God is like. That's God's plan for you and me. We're to show the world what the heart of God is like. Like Jesus, we are to be shepherds. Like Jesus, we are to be servants. He served because, why? He was seeking good for all people. Write that down. He was seeking good for all people. The Bible says this. Even the Son of Man did not come, look at this, to be served but to serve, and then to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus modeled leading like a shepherd. He was always thinking about bringing good to his sheep. And he literally was willing to give up his life for the good of his sheep. He was willing to use his life as the payment necessary to free his sheep from the one who held him captive. 
So now here's the piercing question. What do you do when you're the king? When you're the king in the room? When you realize that you're the leader in the room or in the relationship? What do you do when you're on the throne, when you're the most powerful person in the room? Even Jesus, as though he was the most powerful person in the room, what did he do? He got up. He wrapped a towel around his waist. He bent down and washed the dirty feet of every one of his disciples. So here's Jesus, God in the flesh, King of kings, Lord of lords, bending down and serving the ones he's leading, doing the lowest of low jobs to meet their needs, to benefit them. The question is, what do you do when you're the most powerful person in the room? Do you grab for the power and the authority? No, the answer is this. When you're the most powerful person in the room, you're to use your power to benefit the others in the room. So the question is, are you doing that? Are you really serving the ones that you're leading? You see, one of the greatest indicators of our spiritual maturity is how we handle the authority, the power, and the influence that we've been given. And the way we respond when it dawns on us that we are the most powerful people in the room reveals our spiritual maturity. And the truth is, in some way, somebody's already handed you the keys, right? Somebody's already handed you a title. In some way, you are leading someone. So maybe you have this morning the title of dad. Maybe you have the title of mom, the title of husband, title of wife. Maybe you have the title of manager or business owner or captain. Maybe you have the title of big brother or big sister, president of company, title of board member or administrator. Whatever the title, you have authority and power and influence. And that means that you and I are to do what David did And what Jesus modeled. That means you're to use your power for the benefit of the other people in the room. You're to lead like a shepherd who cares more for his sheep than he does for himself. What if you began to live that way? What what if you began to lead that way? To really use your power, your authority, your influence for the benefit of the others in the room. You see, that's what your Savior did for you. That's what he did for me. Now it's up to you and me to lead like Jesus. So so how are you doing, dads? How are you doing, moms? How are you doing, teachers, brothers, sisters? How are you doing, elders of Canyon Hills? How are you doing, key leaders here at Canyon? How are you doing, business leaders? Are you using your power to burn and blister people? Or using your power to build and benefit people? Today, 
God wants us to know that we are leading someone. But how are we leading someone? Folks, our culture has taught us to be all about us. And Jesus comes from just the opposite direction. He's calling us to be shepherds. He's calling us to be servants. He's calling us to lead in a different way than our culture and our world has taught us to lead. Today, God has put this message on my heart, and he's calling you to lead those around you like Jesus leads you. To really lead with a shepherd's heart, to really serve others with a servant's heart. And so in a minute, I'm going to ask you to do something that might be uncomfortable. I'm going to ask the worship team to come, and I'm going to ask you to do something Today, if you want to be a greater leader, if you want to really lead like Jesus, in a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand and sing a song. And if God speaks to your heart, I'm going to invite you to come forward to this altar right here this morning. And at this place, to humble yourself before God, to confess your shortcomings, and to commit to start serving others like Jesus has served you. To commit to model the heart of God as you lead those around you. To commit to God to model the heart of a shepherd and a servant as you lead. Whether that's people in your family or this church or your co-workers. You see, God is calling us as individuals and as a church to make a difference in our city. He's called us to make a difference, to go and make more disciples of Jesus Christ And would it make a difference if our culture and our world saw us as shepherds, caring more about them than ourselves? If they saw us as servants, going to the lengths that it takes to benefit them and help them, even if it's a low-down, dirty, hard task. I believe it would change your culture just like it did 2,000 years ago when Jesus gave himself on the cross. It got the attention of the world. If he saw, if our culture saw us begin to be real shepherds and servants, it would get the attention of our city, the attention of the people we work with. They would see something different in our lives and how we live our lives, and they would want to be like we are. Amen? It would change our lives. And so I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning. And our our worship team is going to lead us in this song. And I invite you to sing this song with us. But as they lead us, if God has been speaking to your heart about stepping up and leading with a shepherd's heart and a servant's heart, I'm going to ask you to do what David did. Right there, as he was given the power, the keys to the kingdom, the authority to be the king of Israel, he publicly proclaimed that he wanted to be a great leader like the great shepherd. He publicly proclaimed that he was under the authority of the great king. Would you step out and come to this altar and say, I haven't been the leader that I should have been, but today I want to make a commitment to be the dad, the mom, the leader, the business guy that God has gifted me to be and called me to be. And I publicly proclaim that I want to be a better leader. Would you come as we sing?
And I want to pray over you and bless you and ask God to help you become that better.